And Tyron, I'll echo what you said, my brother. I think uh, all the men, the man them, need to get our act together, right? <laughs> For real. Just before we come around the word, will you just bow your heads with me and let's just pray. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we want to thank you that you are a good God. The God that we have been singing to, the God that sings and rejoices over us. Father, we just come, Lord, in just humble adoration. And we pray now, Father, we want to thank you for our time of worship. We thank you, Lord, that you enable us to enter right in, Lord God. That we are no longer on the periphery, Father, but we can enter in, Lord God, out into the the, the court of the Gentiles, into the holy place and into the very holy of holies. That, God, that there waits a, a warm welcome for us. And so, Father, we ask now, that as always, as we come around your word, Lord, will you open hearts, will you open minds, and Father, will you speak through your word, through your vessel, Lord God, and may you receive all glory that is due your name, for we ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And amen. During the 1992 Olympic Games in Barcelona, Derek Redmond tore his hamstring and fell to the ground while running in the men's 400-meter semi-final. And there may be a picture of it. Maybe not. Medics rushed to his side, but Redmond wanted to finish the race. So he got up and began to hobble down the track. His father, Jim, sees him, barges past security, gets onto the track and helps his son finish the race. And as they do, they are applauded by the 65,000 people in that stadium who all give them a standing ovation. And it's just a stunning picture of a father's love. The father's love, it is so powerful that even celebrities and pop stars, despite their wealth and fame, long for it for instance Michael Jackson once said what I wanted was a a dad a father who showed me love and my father never did that wow and so building on last time and looking at the father's love towards us I want us to linger in Luke 15 for just a little longer And so I've entitled this morning's message is simply The Father's Heart Part 2. And I've gleaned some wonderful insights from various theologians like Daryl Johnson, Kenneth Bailey and many others. And it has blessed me and I pray that it blesses you also. And so if you have your Bibles with you, then please open up and come with me to the Gospel of Luke. And we're going to read from chapter 15, verses 1 and 2, and then we're going to jump down to 11 to 32. And this is a morning where we're going to be in the Word and we're going to open it. So please do stay awake, stay with me as we go through it all. And it says, All the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to him. And the Pharisees and scribes were complaining, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Verse 11. And he said, a man had two sons, 
the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. So he distributed the assets to them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered together all he had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. After he had spent everything, a severe famine struck that country and he had nothing. Then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He longed to eat his fill from the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food, and here I am dying of hunger. I'll get up, go to my father, and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and, against, and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. So he got up and went to his father. But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran, threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father told his servants, Quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it. and Let's celebrate with a feast. Because this son of mine was dead and is now alive. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. As he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. He summoned one of the servants, questioning what these things meant. Your brother is here, he told him, and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and he didn't want to go in. So his father came out and pleaded with him. But he replied to his father, Look, I've been slaving many years for you, and I have never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, he has devoured your assets with prostitutes, and you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. Son... He said to him, you are always with me and everything that I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, this passage of scripture is possibly the greatest story ever told. Because contained therein is the gospel within the gospel, as we saw last time through the parable of the prodigal son. However, some have argued that it's more like the parable of the prodigal sons, plural. Or more accurately, the parable of the prodigal father, as we will see is the passage unfolds. Now, 
as previously mentioned, in order to understand this parable, we need to understand a couple of things. Firstly, the audience. And we find them in verses 1 and 2, namely the tax collectors and sinners, along with the scribes and Pharisees. Secondly, we have to look at this parable through the lens of a Middle Eastern mindset and eyes in order to appreciate the weight of it. Now, the context of this parable is that Jesus is responding to an accusation leveled at him by the scribes and Pharisees, Israel's self-appointed guardians and protectors of God's law and reputation. And as mentioned before, the scribes and Pharisees, they were zealous to keep the minutiae of the law in order to maintain God's blessing. And so, when they see Jesus fraternizing with the enemy, so to speak, the no-good tax collectors and sinners, alarm bells begin to ring because he is now bringing shame upon the name and thus risking God's blessing. How? Because the tax collectors and sinners... They were flocking to hear Jesus because he was some next-level rabbi, unlike any other rabbi. And these social outcasts were drawn to him, and shock, Jesus was drawn to them. Wow. Because in verse 2, when it says that he welcomes them, well, that's putting it mildly. Because in the Greek, it says that Jesus welcomes them as family, as brothers and sisters, which is just ghastly to the pharisaical mind. And Jesus eating with them is double ghastly. Wow. And in their accusation of this man welcomes sinners and eats with them, where there's a tinge of disgust in their voice. Because in their mind, he has brought shame to Israel's God and law. And so, our Lord responds through the means of parables. And in doing so, he indirectly yet And so, in Luke 15, our Lord, he shares three parables in quick succession. And through the shepherd with his lost sheep, the woman with the lost coin, and the parable of the father with his lost sons, Jesus paints the most glorious picture of the father. And it's a picture that we can all trust. How? Because it is painted by none other than God's only begotten son. Quite like the Son, and now the Son comes to reveal the Father's heart. Hallelujah. And as the Lord unveils the Father's heart, He does so at great risk to Himself, because eventually this will lead to costing Him His life. Wow. 
One more thing in order to understand this parable in its entirety is that we need to look at the father's exchange with both sons. And last time we looked at the father's exchange with the younger son, but today we will focus on the father's interplay with the older son. And before we do, allow me to very briefly recap. Essentially, the younger son, he had broke the father's heart by requesting his inheritance. Because to say such a thing in that time and that culture was tantamount to saying, I want the father dead. And shockingly, the father grants the request and gives his son a third of his wealth. The son goes off and blows it. But fortunately, a famine occurs which, which causes the son to repent and to return to the goodness of his father. And so, with repentance in his heart, he makes his way home, fully aware of what awaits him. Namely, a scornful bunch of villagers, an elder brother who may want to punch his lights out, and his father who may reject him and refuse to speak with him. But desperate, and with nowhere to go and no one to turn to, he makes his way home, hoping that after the dust settles, that maybe his father will employ him as a hired worker. And so he travels home, and as he does, he begins to put this speech together. And can you remember from last time how many parts there were? Well done, whoever said that. And do you know what they were? Let me help you. I've sinned, I'm not worthy, and let me make it up to you and repay the debt. Hold that thought. Because he realizes that he has sinned against God his father, and now he has no claim upon anything. And so his only hope is to cast himself upon the father's mercy and hope that he throws him a lifeline, right? But when he arrives home, he is met with a number of unexpected surprises which are all scandalous to the scribes and Pharisees. I mean, the father's been waiting for the son and when he sees him out on that dirt road, he runs a shameful act for a man of his age and stature. The father embraces the son in his filth, shameful. The father kisses the son, another shameful act. But it's the father's way of transferring the shame off of his son and on to himself. And so now, whatever the villagers and the elders wanted to do to the younger son, they would now have to do to the father. And here Jesus is revealing a sinner embracing, a sinner kissing, and a shame-bearing father. Praise God. 
So that's the first half of the parable. And if the younger son represents the tax collectors and sinners, then the older son represents not only the scribes and Pharisees, but perhaps many of us who are in churches today up and down the country. Ouch. I mean those who perhaps have never run off to a distant country somewhere, but have always carried out their duties responsibly without any quibble. It's like someone once said that the older son only needs to be told once, and he did whatever he was told. That they don't need to be nagged to make their bed and do their homework because they just got on and did it, right? But here, Jesus tells us that even though the older son never wandered off, however, he still managed to break the father's heart. Because you see, there are two types of sinners. There are lawbreakers and there are law keepers. And both are in desperate need of grace so now that I have your attention let us take a look at the father's exchange with the older son verse 25 now his older son was in the field and as he came and drew near to the house he heard music and dancing in other words as the son returns home after a hard day's graft as it were He returns to the sound of celebration. And instead of joining in the party, he views it with suspicion. And so he calls one of the servants and asks, what's going on? The servant replies with, your brother is here. And your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. And this should have been good news. But in verse 28, we read that the eldest son became angry. Why angry? Because in his mind, the younger son had shamed the name of the father. And instead of being punished, he is now having a party thrown in his honor. I mean, he's just seething. Can you feel it? Because for scribes and Pharisees, repentance meant conforming to the rules. That yes, you can come back, but only after you've proved yourself by adhering to the rules. But for Jesus... Repentance doesn't mean do better next time and prove yourself. No. Rather, it is simply acknowledging your sin and casting yourself upon the Father's mercy. Amen. And so, this party thrown in honor of the younger son is just messing with the older son's theology of righteousness it's just too much to handle and so he refuses 
to enter in. And in doing such, it once again brings shame to the Father. And it's like, here we go again. The Father just doesn't seem to get a break here, does he? Now, why is the Father shamed in this? Because in the Middle East, when a party is given for an honoured guest, children are expected to be there, even if they don't want to be. And if they're not, well, it just brings shame. Because it was the role of the elder sibling to mingle with the guests and to make sure that everyone has enough to eat and, and drink. In short, he was to play host. It was a key role. And so by refusing to go in, he shames the father in front of all the village VIPs and dignitaries. And the most shameful thing in that culture, similar to Asian culture today, is that you never air your dirty laundry in public, so to speak. Because the name of the game is to save face and honour at all cost. And if there's a disagreement in the family, it is always dealt with privately and never publicly. Oh no. But this older son, He creates a scene and dishonors the father and thus brings shame in front of the entire village. And the Pharisees standing around listening to our Lord telling this parable are once again expecting the father to pull rank now and to discipline his son for his utter insolence. But what does the father do? Verse 28. The son refuses to go in, and so the father goes out, just as he did for the younger son. He is once again transferring the shame that is on the older son on to himself, further humiliating himself a second time that day. Wow. What a picture that the Lord is painting of the Father's heart this morning. Do you see it, church? Now, how does the older son respond? Well, he adds further insult to injury. And once again, he breaks the father's heart. Remember how the younger son had a prepared speech? Well, the older son has one also. And it reveals just how far he has drifted from the father despite never leaving home. Verse 29, it says, Look, I have been slaving many years for you and I have never disobeyed your orders yet. You never gave me a goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf. And all of these words just 
pierce the Father's heart. Note how he begins his speech with look. No honor, no respect. I mean, even the younger son had the decency to respectably address his father as father. But now he is met with insult. The older son goes on. You never gave me a goat to celebrate with my friends. Your friends? I mean, the whole family along with the entire village are there. And your friends? Really? And it just exposes the heart of the older brother in how he no longer considers himself a part of the family, let alone a part of the whole village community. What's more is that he calls his brother your son, further distancing himself from his family. It's like, nothing to do with me. And then in verse 30, it seems that he calls the father's intelligence into question. Like, Dad, you just don't get it. This son of yours has blown your inheritance on loose living and and you throw a party in his honor? What's wrong with you? You just don't get it. Now, the most saddest part in all of this, scholars tell us, is perhaps the first line, verse 29. Namely, I have been slaving many years for you and I have never disobeyed your orders. In other words, I have never ran off but remained home religiously. But maybe that's the issue. That he thought that by staying at home with the father that he was accruing brownie points with But tragically, he was living out of the younger son's third part of his statement of make me a hired worker. In other words, though he never wandered off geographically, but internally he drifted away and it totally, he totally missed the point. And in the process, he got it twisted and it warped his soul. Because the father is not looking for servants and slaves, but he wants children, sons and daughters of the living God who know the generous and the gracious and the glorious heart of the father. Amen. Now, in response to the older son's insults, listen to what the father says. Verse 31. Son, or my son. Now, there are a couple of Greek words for son. There's huios, which means a descendant. 
And then there is technon, which is more of a term of endearment. It's like my child. It's warm and it's tender. And that's the word the father uses right here. And so he is saying, my child, you are always with me. And everything that I have is yours. In other words... The father reassures the older son that the return of his younger son isn't a threat to his status or his rights. It's not as if the father is taking from one in order to give to the other. No, because the father is full of grace. He is abundant in mercy and there is plenty for all to go around. Amen. But we had to celebrate because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Glory. And again, the father, he displays his heart for all to come to him. Praise God. But this was scandalous to the elder brother. Because like the scribes and Pharisees, they didn't believe that one could simply receive. But they had to earn their way in via their good deeds and the law. Because that's what they had to do. So it's only right that the younger brother does so also. Like how dare the father just receive the younger son? How dare he? But that's the gospel. It's an offense to the religious mindset because it is grace, amazing, amazing grace that saves a wretch like us, the rebel along with the religious. Glory. Praise God. Isn't he good? His heart open for all. Now, When this parable ends, we don't know the conclusion in that we don't know how it ends. What happened to the elder brother? Did he attend the party or did he storm off in a sulk somewhere? We don't know. But some have speculated that in that culture, it could only end in one of two ways. Firstly, The older son, like the younger, humbles himself. And he recognizes just how far he has drifted, changes his mind and joins the party. And it's happy ever after. They're my kind of endings. Anyone with me? Yes. However, it is more likely that it ended differently. Where the older son hardens his heart even more. And seeing the shamelessness of his father beats him and bludgeons him to death in order to remove the scandal of shame. Yeah, wow indeed. And that's not hard to imagine because that's exactly what the scribes and Pharisees did to God's holy 
son. Because they couldn't handle the picture of the father that Jesus holds up. And so later on, they would cry, crucify, crucify him. Killing the very embodiment of love itself. But hanging from the cross, we hear one more scandalous and shameless statement. And it is... Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Can somebody give the Lord praise this morning? Because that's the Father's heart for both lawbreakers and lawkeepers. It really is. What a great heart. I tell you, praise God that I'm not God. Because I see certain things, and like James and John of old, I want to bring fire down from the heavens and burn them up. But praise God that none of us are God. Praise God that his heart is wide, it's deep, and it's high. And his heart is for us. And so... If the message to the younger son types, the rebels, is come home, then the message for the older son types, the religious, is come on in. And wherever you are on that spectrum this morning, know that the father is standing with his arms wide open and he is ready to receive you. And if you call upon his name, he will run to meet you. That you may come home and that you may come in and fellowship with him. Because he gives us a seat at his table. Just like David did to Mephibosheth, Jonathan's son who was lame and crippled, who considered himself a nothing and a nobody. And he lived in a place called Lodibar, which translates to mean nothing and nobody. And however, King David said to Mephibosheth, you will come and you will dine at the king's table with me on the daily. And it's a picture of what Jesus does with us. That we are the ones who are lame and crippled and nothing and a no good, nothing. And yet we are given the place of privilege of honor and we are given a seat at the father's table because in the race of life when the pressure gets too much and we blow a hamstring if you like remember that the father like Jim Redmond he barges past security and he gets on to that track and he helps us finish the race because that's his heart for you he's not against you and so let him father you because that's his heart and I pray that you receive that this morning church I know often we hear the same kind of similar messages but a couple of things firstly we need to hear these messages because we, we forget 
so many things. It's like someone said, they only need to preach one message that one pastor actually did. He preached the same message, now, whether it's true or not, but he preached the same message week in, week out for the whole year until someone comes and says, Pastor, why are you preaching the same old message? He goes, because are you living it? <laughs> because we hear the same old thing and we can sit here, our eyes glaze over or we're looking at our phones or we're doing whatever else, checking our Twitter feed or Facebook feed, whatever we may be doing not judging anyone, but the Father's heart is here and his heart is for you. And I pray that you receive that this morning. Let it drop down from your head and into your heart that you live out of that place, that we're not living in a place that we're striving, we're earning stripes, we're earning brownie points like the religious, but because we have been accepted in the Beloved that we now move from that place of knowing who we are in Jesus. Let's pray. Come, Holy Spirit. Just in this stillness, in the quiet. I don't know where you're at this morning. Apart from you know and God knows. And he wants to meet with you. And so I don't know who you identify with. Whether you're like the younger son who's been a down and out rebel. And he hasn't spared any airs and graces, but he's just rudely asked for, the, for his inheritance and he's gone and blown it. I don't know whether that's you or whether you're more like the elder brother who has never done anything like that. And yet there still seems to be a distance between you and the father that you've been working and doing the things, going through the motions, but... There's no real joy there. There's no peace there. I want to pray for both groups. And if you feel comfortable, just place your hand upon your heart just as a, an act of faith and, just, and just, just ask God yourself. Say, God, will you search my heart? And will you see where I am? Which... One, do I more, am I more in tune with? You can do that yourself. You can ask him. Because he wants to speak with you. His heart is for you. So Father, we thank you for this wonderful picture that your son has painted for us. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you cut all the way through all the dross. And Father, you, you reveal the heart of the Father for both the rebel and the religious. And my Lord, wherever we are on that journey, on that spectrum today, Father, if we are a rebel, Lord God, I pray 
that, Lord, we will return back to the Father to see your goodness, to see that you are for us, Lord Jesus, and to see the lavish love that you pour upon us and that we are welcomed as son, as daughter into your kingdom, that we're not a nothing and a nobody, but we are son and we are daughter, beloved of you. And if we are, Father, more identify with the eldest son, that we've never really gone out there, that we've heard all of these, these uh, sensational testimonies of people who were once X and now are Y, and we've never actually experienced any of that, but yet there is still something missing within us. Father, we thank you that you welcome us in deeper into fellowship with you, that God both, Lord, of your children can identify and can come into your throne room and know your grace and know your peace and know that love that you poured out for us, that we are loved, that we were once unlovable and not good enough, which the enemy would still have us believe today. But we thank you, Lord Jesus, that because of the cross and your great your sacrifice, that we are now the beloved of the Father, that we are accepted in you, and that you have made us good because of your righteous robe that you clothe us with. So, Father, we give you praise, and we give you all glory. And we give you all honor. And I pray that as we go throughout our week, Lord, that there will be a change in our spirit and in our hearts, that there will be a spring in our step, Lord God, that we will know as we've been singing, I'm no longer a a slave to fear, but I am a child of God. Father, I pray that that will be cemented within our hearts and our minds, that we will know who we are and whose we are. Let it be for your glory. In Jesus' name. Oh, man.